Welcome to the Take 92 podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And I'm coming to you live with mixed emotions. Um, I don't have a guest on the program today. I have a, a, an important story that I would like to share with you, something that I have been recalling time and again for uh, high school students. Um, I go and speak in the health classes uh, two, three times a year, and I just got scheduled to do that again. So um, I thought if it's good enough to share with the kids, it's good enough to share with you guys. Do stick around to the end of the episode, though. I've got a, a premiere of a brand new track, Sammy Warmhands and Ogar Burl. My duo, the song is called Slubber to Gullion. We just dropped a new video for that. So um, I've got some personal stories here, but um, make sure to tune in at the end and check out the song. It's been kind of a, a somber day, and I wanted to acknowledge that. Um, first of all, I would apologize that uh, there's not going to be a lot of uh, music discussion on, on today's episode. Um, but sometimes real life just hits you and you've got to deal with that. So on the 6th of January, my maternal grandmother passed away. Um, and uh, I don't know what, you know, everybody's relationships are, are different. But um, to me, she was definitely um, a key element in my uh, immediate family. Um, you know, I lived with her when I was very young and, um, you know, she was always present in my life after that. Um, and, you know, visit her. I, I wish I could say more, but fairly regularly, um, even in her, uh, later days. And so it was a, it's, you know, it's a significant thing. And you think as you watch a person's health decline over a few years and, and maybe their disposition changes a little bit and you start to think, you know, maybe this person's ready to go. And on some level you begin to prepare yourself for that inevitability. And I certainly did. Um, I thought I, you know, um, had accepted that that was going to come to pass, you know, that that event would have its day. And there's nothing quite like the real thing, I have to say. And, um, you know, I went through a similar thing with my mother-in-law a few years ago. It was almost exactly three years, actually. She passed on January 17th in 2013. Um, and, um, you know, she was sick for a very long time. And we were there with her at the end and, you know, kind of literal deathbed situation and um both times were really nice in the way that um these were times where a family that doesn't always get together all came together and that's something that's you know it was very important to my grandma in particular um she wasn't thrilled with the, the distance that evolved over the years from, you know, my aunts and uncles and cousins, et cetera, because we were always very close when I was a kid. And um, it was really great to have everybody there with her on her last day. And, um, you know, some faces that you just hadn't seen in a long time, you know she hadn't seen in even longer. 
And, um, you know, today and really the, the last couple weeks since then have been uh, as stressful and, and sad as they are. It's been nice to actually see my family working together again and, and getting along and, and, you know, collaborating on a level that hasn't occurred in quite some time. Um, so it, it, it was great. Today we had the uh, funeral service. That's why this is on my mind today. And, um, you know, I am not a religious person by any means. Um, uh, if you don't already know that about me through my writing, it'll become abundantly clear with one of the songs I'm putting out this year. But, you know, out of respect for her and the way she lived her life, um, I kind of was liaison with the pastor and I uh, helped schedule this thing and, and, and write out the, you know, the progression of the event. And I wrote the eulogy and, and recited that. And I, I stood on the pulpit today and I didn't burst into flames. So that was good. Um, you know, these last couple of weeks, just going through all these millions of pictures and, um, and old songs that we, you know, we both love the same kind of old, swing jazz singers and stuff but i i went back even further than that to like the f- 1940s stuff that she really loved and and uh, uh put together a nice a nice tribute for her and and um uh everybody uh, they brought food that was her old famous recipes and 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 flowers and again to see a lot of faces that you hadn't seen in a long time and it was given the circumstances, the best day that it could be. So um, on, on that level, I'm really happy about that. I know she would have been really happy with it, and everything was, uh, everything was perfect. So uh, there wasn't a single uh, problem or disagreement all day. And um, afterward, you weren't getting the typical kind of, you know, oh, she's uh, in a better place now, and oh, she's smiling down on us, and she's all that stuff. You know, we're all hanging out in the church, and, you know, we had some some traditional sermon involved as well as the family sharing stories, but, you know, afterward is when you usually hear those same old things, and I didn't hear any of that today. Everybody was um, sharing their stories, and, and whether they were happy or or sad, like every single person there was, was invested and wanted to be part of it. And, and, um, I just think that's the best, the best thing, um, to wish somebody goodbye, especially somebody like me. I don't believe that they've, uh, graduated to another plane of existence. Um, I just, uh, personally wanted to celebrate the time we had and, and the influence that she had in, in setting, my life on a good track personally and and supporting me for many many years no matter how crazy weird i tended to get um and it was evident that she had that effect on many people and that that positivity that everyone brought today was a reflection of the positivity that she had in her in her life towards everyone she knew and as my dad put it um very succinctly that um if ever there was a reason uh to be disliked he gave her plenty of reasons and yet her love was unconditional and 
it never mattered how bad uh, things got. She was always, she was always warm and kind, and uh, that's just a that's just a great thing. And so, I had been planning on sharing uh, one of my own stories on uh, a solo episode here, and it's a little bit um, on the the life and death subject but again you know today that happened this month has been crazy um between just the digesting the emotional impact of losing my grandma and coordinating this thing um i'm shooting another music video tomorrow i have a different music video coming out on monday um you know got my job on top of that and then life is just hectic so i thought that um if anything, I don't know if anybody would want to listen to this, but if anything, it's just good to help me digest this situation and reflect on it for, um, you know, what what it was to uh, to know my grandma and live with her and, and what it was to see my family get back together today and these last few weeks have been really great. So with that said, and I thank you for indulging me, I wanted to tell a story that... Like I said, uh, my old health teacher hits me up periodically. Uh, I think about three times a year I come in to North Eugene High School and I tell about this story. And um, it is related to cancer. And I know that uh, I personally have had a lot of people affected by it. Um, you know, when I was in elementary school, my cousin, who I was practically best friends with, um, my cousin Chris, he was uh, suddenly hospitalized, had some pain in his leg, and they uh, did a bunch of tests, and he had leukemia, and um, it was just such a blow, and, and you know, he was an all-star athlete kind of kid, baseball player, and smartest, brightest, happiest kid and, um, you know, he went through a rough couple years of treatment. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a kid going through chemo, but it, it changes their physical appearance, uh, you know, the, the shape of his face and um, got puffy and, and he just he looked different, but he never lost his, uh, his, his, his fight and his, his positive spirit. And, uh, you know, to this day, uh, Chris is, is living his dream and, 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 you know, he's a writer, he's, he's living in France and, and, um, you know, it, I've seen it, I've seen cancer go that way and I've seen, uh, cancer go, go the other way. And, um, a lot of times when it goes the other way, it's because we aren't armed with the information to, make the right decision when that happens because maybe you notice something different about yourself and you think oh it's probably nothing you know and then you find out a year later or something that oh now this other thing you got is related to that thing you didn't check out and well you should probably check that out and oh you've got that shit and um i've seen that happen as well so one of those people is uh, as I mentioned, my mother-in-law, Kathy, and she was someone who had a 
breast lump and she didn't think much of it, didn't investigate. And um, sometime, quite sometime later, I want to say a couple years later, um, her sister was diagnosed with breast cancer. And they said, everybody in your family's got to get checked down. Well, sure enough, uh, she had it as well. And, you know, they both went through, um, you know, the, the recommended treatment relative to their uh, severity. And Kathy's was worse. And it, uh, it was a, a struggle for a while. And, you know, my wife dropped out of school so she could, you know, be around and help out and go to doctor's appointments and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, she had the chemo and the radiation and the surgery, a double mastectomy, which is to remove both breasts altogether. Um, you know, you cut it out and then you go through the, uh, the, the treatment to make sure any um, peripheral cells are, uh, are, are healed or the cancer is killed from those cells. And, uh, you know, she went through that whole process and they said, you're, you're, you're great, you're doing fine. Um, you know, ran all the tests again, and you know what? You're in remission. And we had a good year of back to normal, and her hair grew back and everything. And um, then um, she decided to get her ovaries removed as a precaution, thinking ahead, because um, you have a higher risk for ovarian cancer once you've had breast cancer. Um, and knowing that, she wanted to be ahead of the curve this time. And so she went in and had them removed. And the surgeon said, everything looks clean. It was great. You're doing great. You look perfect for a, a you know, good recovery time and everything. And um, when they got uh, the lab results back, they tested everything anyway. Um, and uh, she had cancer cells. And uh, they started running other tests. And... It had spread to her skeleton. And bone cancer, from what I understand, there's nowhere to go after that. There's no cutting it out. Uh, at that point, you kind of, uh, you have to own it. And so she was sick for a while. She said she would never go through treatment again after the first stuff. She went through it again. She was doing okay, um, but uh, the treatment was harder on her that time through. And um, she was active. She was going to the, uh, like the cancer center that helped her. She was in the commercial for it. She would go and talk to other survivors and other patients. And, um, you know, she wanted to come to North and talk to the girls the way I talk to the guys because they split the class in two. And I had invited her to do that. And um, uh, she thought that was, that was going to be great. And, um, you know, eventually she lost that fight. It was pretty remarkable because they had, doctors had basically called it and said, okay, you know, uh, she went into the hospital, I think on or the day after Thanksgiving, um, 2012 and they said you know you're you're probably not gonna come home and she was like fuck that I'm I'm coming home for Christmas and she did and she got better and uh, 
you know, we had a normal family Christmas and all that. And uh, shortly, shortly after, obviously, like I said, it was in, in January, um, you know, she started to decline pretty quickly. I think she looked at her uh, daughters and felt like they were in an okay place and that she had given a good long fight and, you know, it was time to, time to let go of that. So, um, so she did. And when I go and share my story that I, I am about to tell to you, I include her story because, um, again, that, that early detection is, is huge. And, um, you know, that can be the difference in being a survivor or being a victim. And so, um, what happened to me when I was 16, I was a sophomore in high school. And, you know, at that time, I had been uh, a musician for a few years already. And, you know, my band was like my whole life. We were playing shows and it was great. And, um, you know, my wife now was my girlfriend at the time already for a couple of years. And, and um, you know, I had a good thing going. Normally with the students at this point, I ask, who here has been kicked in the nuts and everybody's hand goes up and uh if you've ever been kicked in the nuts you know what it feels like if you haven't maybe you're a a female uh, listener there's two stages of a direct hit to the nuts there's the impact that's like getting the wind knocked out of you knocks you to the ground and that hurts real bad but then there is uh what i describe as the aftershock and it's this kind of radiating pain that's almost in your lower abdomen. It's kind of in your gut. And um, it's like a radiating, swelling kind of surge of pain. And so I'd be sitting in class, 16 years old, listening to the history lecture or whatever. And I would feel part two of a good crotch kick. So it didn't feel like all of a sudden somebody just, you know, flicked me in the nuts or something. But I'd be sitting there and almost like that, almost like a stomach cramp would come on or something, but it was that other kind of feeling. And I thought, God, this is weird. Um, And it would pass. And then, you know, a couple days later, it happened again. And uh, I think after two weeks of this happening intermittently at different times, I decided to get it checked out. And so when you are 16, you are probably not entirely comfortable with your body. And talking about certain private details, especially with your parent, especially that parent is of the opposite sex. So I I remember coming out while my mom was watching TV. It was around uh, close to bedtime for everybody. You know, I I don't make my own appointments with my doctor as an adolescent. You know, my mom was doing that stuff for me. 
I saw my pediatrician until I was 23 years old. I, I came out and I said to her, I need to see the doctor. I need to go uh, to Dr. Deal. And she said, why? And as obvious as that question was, I didn't really want to answer. It's like, well, I just, I just kind of need to go. So um, if I could go see him, that's great. She's like, well, what, what's going on here? And I was like, well, my balls hurt. She's like, your balls hurt? I'm like, well, not all the time, but yeah, sometimes. And it, it doesn't seem right. I'm like, okay. I don't know how I thought, maybe in the back of my mind, um, I had some prior knowledge of this, like I, what it could be, you know, because the only thing I can think of is I was a big fan of Tom Green and the Tom Green show was on before Jackass was invented. Like the, CKY movies were happening at the same time. Some of the guys that started Jackass, but but on MTV was the Tom Green show, and it was similar crazy antics. And um, at the height of his success, Tom Green had testicular cancer, and instead of shying away from the public, he decided to film everything and make a documentary show about it and show his surgery and, and everything. And so that was probably, I don't know, only a year or two before this happened to me. So I'm sure on some level I thought this, this could be serious. And, uh, I go to my doctor, like I said, my pediatrician, it's not exactly, um, his forte, um, checking adolescent balls and uh he said he he couldn't he couldn't tell he couldn't feel anything and so uh he's going to recommend a urologist first of all speaking of awkward with your body if you can imagine this guy who used to give you lollipops when you were a kid now having a look at your junk on display and and not only that but touch it and uh i wasn't an athlete past like age 12, maybe 13. So I never had to have like actual physicals for sports. So this was new to me. <laughs> and, uh, uh, well, and on, on that note, not being in sports at that age, you know, you're not like showering with dudes and stuff. So, you know, I'm a little insecure at this moment. And he goes, uh, we're going to send you to a urologist. And so Dr. Deal sent me to meet Miss, uh, Dr. Shannon. And so I went to Dr. Shannon and he went through the same sort of surface exam, you know, and that was great. Just going from old guy to old guy, <laughs> checking you out like that. Um, definitely uh, an uncomfortable situation for a boy of my age. He thought everything felt normal as well. And this is a guy who specializes in that area of the body. And so he ordered a, he ordered an ultrasound. And the only time I had ever even seen an ultrasound was on my mom when she was pregnant with my little brother. He's eight years younger than me. So I, I remembered seeing that. And uh, as far as I knew, they only did it for uh, pregnancy. 
And so they they squirt that little KY jelly looking stuff on you, which is very cold, I might add. And then you have a, a, a female nurse now, which I'm not sure is is any less nerve wracking <laughs> for a teenage boy. Um, uh, checking you out. I remember they put this little, um, they draped a thing over my dick. So my dick wasn't out. It was just the balls. <laughs> and, uh, I remember thinking this was just so bizarre. And, um, you know, when I was doing these speeches a few years ago in class, um, it was before like cell phone cameras were super, uh, good quality. And like, you know, not everyone had like Instagram video all the time. And so I used to say, um, how many of you have ever been on TV? And maybe like two hands would go up and I'd be like, uh, you saw yourself on TV? And he'd be like, yeah, I was on the news, you know, running track or something like that, you know? And I see, I'd say, uh, how many of you have ever seen your balls on TV? And now again, like, uh, with, uh, everybody shooting videos and, uh, and taking, dirty pictures of themselves. I don't ask that question because I imagine people have probably seen uh, videos of their junk before. But uh, no one would raise their hand and I I would raise mine. Um, And, you know, they have that little monitor that you see the fetus on (laughs) during the ultrasound while they're showing you the shape of your balls inside your bag. (laughs) And uh, that was kind of a uh, a weird <laughs> experience. And, um, so they do that and they, uh, send us back to Dr. Shannon for the results. I, I grew up with my mom and my stepdad. So my, my parents were there. My dad came as well. And, um, he says, uh, there is, uh, a dense mass inside your left testicle and he's like could be a cyst could be a tumor (laughs) could it be you know and 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 i'm just immediately thinking oh shit um and so i i i asked so this is you mean this could be cancer and and he said, yes, it could, but the nature of this is somewhat uncommon. Normally with testicular cancer, the reason they do those exams by hand in the office is because it tends to be a growth on the outside of your balls, but inside scrotum. So you could feel like a growth, an outer growth usually pretty clearly, at least some sort of inconsistency. Like when I'm in the school, I have a pamphlet that we hand out that shows you how to examine yourself. And it's like, um, you know, after a shower or a bath or something, when your skin is warm and relaxed, um, you, you're supposed to take your, um, your index finger, uh, like your, your two fingers there and, uh, and your thumb on top. And you're supposed to kind of gently, I underscore gently, um, kind of roll within your fingers and, um, excuse me. And then you, uh, you switch sides and you do it there. And what you're looking for are inconsistencies. 
And if you find something that's different, then maybe you should check out. And in most cases, it is some sort of lump that's pretty obvious. Now, the hard thing for me to understand was I had had um, a health class before uh, the man named Mr. Rivera. And, you know, he explained the thing. He was my gym teacher, you know, and they tell you uh, how to check yourself or whatever. And I had checked uh, when I thought something was wrong and I didn't feel anything. And then I started to feel uh, like you are essentially plugged in to your body. You know, there's uh, uh, a couple of tubes. Otherwise, they your balls wouldn't be functional. They wouldn't do anything. They're just horrible, horrible decor um, if not connected. So um, inside, you, you kind of on the end of it, you're feeling this big uh, connection and going, well, is this not? But no, because, uh, you know, it's the same on both sides. And so you're trying to check and you're trying to make sure that, well, it's not that. It's not, uh, you know, you, you don't know what you're doing. And so when the doctor says um, there's something on the inside, um, there's no diagnosis. Um, he said we have to operate. And so I... Um, I wasn't having it, basically. Um, I had put many years into my music and this one band. And it was finally getting off the ground. We were finally getting shows. You know, we're 15 and 16 years old in this group. And we are playing with people who are in their 20s who are veterans you know, we're getting real shows, we're getting respect, we're getting written about in local zines and stuff, and, and we're actually putting out records, you know, and um, it was a big deal to me. You see how seriously I take music now and why I've never given up on it? Well, when some people say, like, man, I'd give my left nut to, you know, play with so-and-so, um, I kind of did because... Um, we had finally booked not one but two shows for the first time at the historic venue in my town, the Wow Hall. And um, a lot of the big shows now when they come to Eugene play at the McDonald Theater. But when I was a kid, the McDonald Theater was a fucking movie theater, okay? It's not uh, a venue of the same history, okay? It doesn't have that behind it sure it's been there for a long time it's a monument on the downtown uh circuit but it's not the same to me as a music venue um that said if anyone books for the mcdonald i've never been invited to play there so uh hit me up anyway um <clears throat> so finally get to play the wow hall sophomore in high school 500 capacity room I'm beside myself with joy, and then this shit gets dropped in my lap. So I told the doctor and my parents, no, I'm not going to operate. And they said, you don't understand. You have to go for these things right away. Um, you know, the earlier you find out, the better everything's going to be. And I was like, look, the second show I have lined up, this sounds so dumb, and I can't tell you enough how dumb this decision was 
and how I would encourage you in the same situation to do the other thing than what I'm doing in this story. But this is how stubborn I am. Um, so I said, look, the second show I have is opening for Thrice. You don't know who they are. It doesn't matter to me. But they are like our favorite band in the world. They just put out this groundbreaking album. And it is fulfilling a dream of mine I've had forever to play with these bands that I you know, grew up listening to um, in the punk and hardcore scene. And I've been working for so long at this that... If we get a bad diagnosis and I'm going to die, I want to die having made some of these things happen for myself and and have those experiences and those memories when I'm going out. That's what I wanted. That's what I said. Um, scrawny little 16-year-old giving a, a sermon about the power of punk rock. And, uh, and I refused. So, uh, this is in April of 2002 and all of this happens within a couple of weeks. And, um, May 3rd, I believe played the first show and, uh, it's with this band called River City High. And I think Lefty, I want to say was the other band on the tour. We didn't even know who they were. We didn't care. We just wanted to open the show and uh, step foot in that room. I mean, the first first punk show I ever saw in my life was in 1998 in that very room with my friend Ben Arp. We went to see Less Than Jake. And that night, we were introduced to Good Riddance and All, uh, which is also uh, most of the members of The Descendants. So learning about um, all that music just from that one night alone, if, even if I hadn't gone there the dozen times I went after 1998 to 2002, um, just for that one show was enough for me. And uh, I had so many memories in that room. So to play on that stage was monumental. It was fucking awesome. And um, we had all of our friends there. It was a really great turnout. Um, you know, probably not to them because... There's a 500 capacity room, but when we got a hundred people that are there for us, you know, and 50 people who were there for the touring bands and, you know, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. So we played that show two weeks later. I think it was the 14th. We played with face to face and thrice. And again, couldn't care less about face to face. They were cool. Some of my friends listened to them, whatever, but thrice had just put out the illusion of safety and, to this day, it's one of the best albums of like punk, hardcore, metal, anywhere in between those genres that I've ever heard and had a profound influence on my life musically for years to come. So that show was monumental. And um, if, you, if you've read my book, um, I tell you the musical details of this story in there, but I haven't told you the personal side. Actually, I reduced my testicular cancer uh, story to one sentence, I believe, in my book, because that shit's about music, and uh, this time I'm deviating and telling the actual personal stuff, so if you listen this far, I appreciate it. Anyhow, um, I played those two shows. We had set the date for 
the following Monday morning after uh, those those shows. And when we set this up, it was under the uncertain premise that we didn't know where we, what we were dealing with until we got inside to look. When I say we, I mean the doctors, the surgeon. And my, my urologist was the surgeon. That was his uh, specialty. So, um, I, you know, I was in good hands, but we didn't know what the hell they were going to find. And so there was a chance that I was going to wake up looking the same, or there was a chance I was going to wake up with one ball. And I remember in that meeting, um, when we were talking about this, my, my dad um, was like, well, uh, are there any kind of like, prosthetic uh replacements available and the doctor said no we don't currently have a a safe option for that um that we that we trust anyway and um he's like well can i donate uh and i was like whoa whoa, whoa, no that's 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 fine i (laughs) i i don't need to be having my own brothers and sisters by accident or something that that'd be funny but um I thought that uh, that was a nice gesture, but anyway, here we are, the morning of, and um, I have that looming over me. I don't know what's going to happen. And so I go in to the pre-op, and I remember the nurse putting something into my IV, and she said, this will be just like having a couple of beers. And me being straight edge, I said, I have no context for what you're saying to me, um, but I'll take your word for it. And she's like, it's okay, I'll keep your whatever. I won't tell your mom or something like that. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, um, so they're, they're wheeling me in and, you know, they, uh, they say, well, um, you know, once again, we won't know our course of action until we, we get in there and, and take a look. And so I'm, you know, I'm relaxed on some level with the medication, but I'm worried. So, I'm out. When I wake up, it is like the best sleep, coma, deep nap thing that I've ever felt in my life. Um, Drugs. (laughs) But uh, I'm waking up, and I'm a person who every day when I wake up, I go right back to sleep no matter if I'm late or if I have somewhere to be. I just, I don't like to get up. I love to sleep. And so I'm real comfortable. I keep my eyes closed. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go right back to sleep. This is good. And I'm like, oh, shit. No, this this is a hospital bed. And I open my eyes and I'm, you know, aware of the moment again. And I put my hand down on my leg, my left hand, and I move it over to my crotch to feel what's there. And I said to myself, God damn it. And my left ball was gone. So, um, they take me to post-op and, uh, once they've done what they need to do, I could see my family again. My mom comes in and uh, 
you know, obviously they knew what had happened. And um, I said, I want you to find it. I told my mom to go find it, my ball. Um, I'd seen this dumb comedy called Tomcats um, where a guy goes and uh, chases down his missing ball in the hospital or some shit. I don't know. Maybe that even came out afterward. I don't, I don't remember. But the same thing happened. I asked her to go find my ball. Long story short, they send it to a lab to be diced up and uh, tested. So anyway, I go home it's the same day, and um, we have now five days to wait for the results. And if you're listening, I don't know if you've ever had a um, an abdominal operation, but... In my case, since they didn't know what they were dealing with, they didn't go in an incision through the side of the scrotum because normally that's what they do if they have a little growth, um, you know, that's right on the outside of one of the balls. They want to just slice that little thing off. They pull it right out the side. In my case, they didn't know what they were dealing with, so they actually went in through my lower abdomen through uh, an old hernia incision from when I was like two and um, and pulled the whole thing up out of me that way somehow. And so if you've ever had uh, an operation in your midsection, you realize pretty quickly that we take those muscles for granted on a, a, not a daily basis, but like minute to minute, man. Because when you are speaking or laughing or coughing or sneezing or sitting up or sitting down or rolling over, or taking a dump, or whatever you do, you are using those muscles. And uh, so I am a pussy. I am a whiny little bitch um, when I get sick or whatever. And that's, uh, you know, I'm not a manly, masculine man. Um, So I'm very squeamish. Uh, Needles make me faint. Um... And so surgery recovery was, uh, you know, I wasn't stoked. And I reverted to my five-year-old self. And the day that uh, I get home, my mom had uh, gone to CD World and she bought me two new albums that just came out. Uh, no Effects, which was actually their B-sides. It's, I think it's called 44 or 45 songs that weren't good enough for our other albums. It might be 45 or 46 songs. I forget what it's called. Um, but it was that. And it was my favorite comedian in the whole world, George Carlin. Um, I had seen his special uh, live when it aired. And um, we also saw him live in concert uh, the following year. But right now is the release day for uh, Complaints and Grievances. And I put on that record. I was so happy that she had thought to do that for me. And I'm in my bedroom in my bed. And uh, I put that on and I am cracking up right off the bat. And it hurt like hell. And so I was like, wait, we have to stop the record. I have to listen to it later. Uh, This sucks. So I put on no effects instead. And after school, my friends all came over to the house to see me. But... 
um, you know, being like high school age guys, not also super in touch with their feelings. Some of those guys still not to this day, but um, they uh, they came in and started uh, making fun of me right off the bat, just fucking with me one after another, just nonstop, relentlessly telling these jokes. And I'm like, these fucking assholes. Um, and uh, it actually ended up doing me a favor because... Once I was able to laugh about it, then I was kind of able to accept it. You know, the ridiculousness of the situation kind of outweighed my insecurity or sadness of like being different than I was 24 hours ago or even this morning when I woke up. You know, if you've ever had like a new haircut and later in the day you walk by the mirror and you're you're taken aback. You're like, oh shit, who's that? Um, and you got to get used to it. Um, that's true of other parts of your body as well. Like when I got out of the shower, I there was a mirror on the medicine cabinet across from the shower, and I was drying off. And then I go to dry my back. Um, you know, towels opened up, and I'm like, what the? Fu- oh <laughs> yeah, wow. That's that's not a thing that uh, I was expecting to see. So it do, it does take a little getting used to. Uh, and so, yeah, they were assholes, and uh, we ended up laughing it off, and um, and it, it, it kind of helped my spirits, I think. And so I waited for five days, you know, just laying in a sheet on the couch, whatever. Um, and we finally get the call Friday night, and um, they said there was it was a tumor, and no. Okay, so we finally get the call Friday night, and we knew that it was a tumor, and that was why they took it. We knew that they found a tumor, and they needed to test it to see how serious. And so they tested it, and it was benign. So... I had two reactions to this immediately. One was, God damn it, we didn't have to do this in the fucking first place. And I was pissed off that um, I had gone through that. And uh, like in my mind, like what, it wasn't necessary or, you know, what? And um, then after that uh, passed over me, I felt, you know what? I'm actually really relieved that um, that as bad as it feels right now, that uh, this could have been way worse. This could have drug out for a long time and had a totally different outcome. So I, I actually am very fortunate the way that it ended. And so I go back to school, and um, that was my first lesson in... Uh, gravity with my new anatomy because they have those desks with a chair is attached to the desk you know and uh it's like open on one side for you to sit down on it and then it has kind of the armrest on the other side and so uh i get to school in the morning i'm back 
you know, uh, I liked school and I was, I was good at it. And so I, I'm happy to be there and, and back to normal. And I, I sit down in my first class, plop down and, oh my God. And I lean over on the table and I sat on my fucking ball. And, uh, and then I was feeling that, that number one hitting the nuts pain. And, uh, so I learned I have to, uh, you know, move myself a little bit differently um, as I maneuver through the day. But um, uh, all of the kids, you know, people would ask me, like, oh, hey, where you been, man? You go on vacation or something like that? I was like, ah, well, um, hmm. I, uh, hmm. And I didn't really want to tell people I was, I was uncomfortable and I was kind of embarrassed, you know. And, um, you know, I, I'm a confident kid in all other ways, you know, like walk around the school with my mohawk up and like, you know, I'm a scrawny dude, but I, I do my music and, you know, I've, I've got, I've got purpose and, and whatever, but like, I don't know. I just didn't feel, I've never felt like really a physically confident person, um, in that regard. And so, uh, people are asking me like, Hey, where you been? I'm like, uh, well, I, I don't know. And kind of like meekly explain kind of vaguely what happened. And, uh, what I started to notice was, uh, you know, like in between classes, somebody come up to me and go, Hey, where you been? Whatever. One of my dumbass friends be like, Oh, he got his ball removed. Yeah. Yeah. It's one ball now. And, um, so they were, um, again, being, uh, childish assholes, but the way that they, um, not only, had kind of helped me laugh about it, but at that point, we're just calling it out there. It it made it so I didn't have to explain myself all goddamn day or week or whatever because they start making fun of me there in the hallways or in the student lounge, you know, when people are around and then uh, people are like, oh, what happened, whatever. And then, you know, then it's a little easier of a conversation. And then by the end of the day, you don't have to have that conversation because everybody knows. And so um, their poor way of dealing with it was actually um, kind of a good thing in the end. And um, by the following year, when my band released our fourth album uh, in the spine of it. Uh, you could see, you know, it was a clear spine. You could see through the, from the front. Um, I wrote four guys, three guitars and seven testicles. And, uh, you know, by then we were just totally owning it and it was a, a normal part of my life. So um, if you've ever hung out with me and my friends, Usually it will come up at some point, um, somebody's joke, whatever. Um, the kids always ask me like nicknames and I can't, I can't really think of any nicknames related to the ball thing, but I do remember people would come up and sing that 90s song. I'm half the man I used to be, uh, or like when it came on the radio, they'd be like, Oh, it's your theme song. Shit like that. But, um, yeah, you know, my, my friends helped me through it. I was fortunate and, and, and my wife now, my girlfriend, then she was, uh, with me every day after school while I'm pathetic on the couch. There's actually some really funny pictures of me, uh, uh, sitting with her. And then when she gets up, I'm like, you know, reaching out like a baby for the bottle, like, oh, come back to me. 
because um, I'm a sad and pathetic person, <laughs> apparently. But um, yeah, in the end, everything worked out well. The kids ask things like uh, about, you know, functionality. Everything worked fine. Uh, as they say, you can function with uh, just one of your kidneys. It's the same thing. The doctor said that uh, it's a fail-safe so that we procreate. I mean, there's there's so much in one that you would never grow through it in your lifetime. That's what they told me. Um, and so uh, two is, is just a, a, a backup plan, I guess, a biological backup plan um, to make sure that uh, we procreate. And so what did I go and do? I got a vasectomy. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, everything worked normal. I wasn't, uh, you know, shooting pixie sticks or something weird after that. And um, I was fortunate in that I stayed with the same partner my whole life. So I never had to have that awkward, uh, you know, unromantic preface of like, oh, by the way, you know, I imagine maybe some guys uh, do that if they've got like a weird piercing or something. Maybe they give them a heads up. Maybe they don't. I don't know. Um, or, you know, if maybe it spins around like a curly straw, they would say, oh, by the way, I hope you like corkscrews or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, I never had to have the one ball talk uh, prior to uh, uh, a physical encounter. Um, because I've been with the same person. Um, I tell the kids, if you ask my wife, uh, she would say, I don't even remember what it looked like before when there was two, and that's just way too much to deal with anyway. So uh, she's been great. Um, and uh, one of the reasons that my case is different and the reason that I talk so much about the kind I didn't have where there's a growth that you can feel um, is because that's way more common. And in my case, the pain was brought on by the fact that this tumor was inside growing outward. So uh, it's the same thing as like a person who has a brain tumor and doesn't know it. They just think, that they've been getting a lot of headaches and they've been getting worse. You know, it's because you're feeling it, um, you know, there's, there's no space for it to go. Um, and it's in a very sensitive area. So the bigger it gets, um, the more it's going to cause discomfort. And so I was lucky in having that indication. But in most cases, that's not the case. You're not actually finding the uh, uh, the source unless you're looking for it. So that's a huge thing. And that's, the, and that's similar with, with breast cancer. It usually doesn't cause discomfort unless it's been growing there for a long time. And that's a totally different situation when it comes to, you know, treatment and odds of survival. Because when you detect and treat testicular cancer, I know this from the literature that we use in class, 
uh, you have something like a 95% chance of a regular lifespan uh, compared to someone who had never had it at all. So if, if you find it early and you get it cut out, um, and it, you know, any, uh, accompanying treatment that might be necessary. I didn't need that, uh, treatment in my case for two reasons. One, cause it was contained with inside and, and two, it had no evidence of being malignant at that point. So I, you know, I was in the clear, but most cases you would, you would have it biopsied or taken out and then, um, the area treated so it doesn't spread to lymph nodes or, uh, something like that, or another part of your body. Um, and, uh, once you get that treatment early on, you're good as new. You've basically got a clean bill of health. So that's why we talk early detection so much. It's really a big, 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 huge part of why we, uh, tell these stories to begin with. Um, so I would encourage you to, uh, you know, be familiar with your own body, male or female. Um, you know, it's, it's not a, a exciting, fun, uh, thing to do. Most people aren't, um, you know, tweeting about their mammograms or whatever, but, uh, you know, it's, it's an important thing. And, if you haven't already had someone in your in your family or in your circle affected by this, uh, I, I hope you never do. But man, so many people I know have been affected by these uh, two types of cancer, and and it's very avoidable. So that's why we talk about it. And uh, I'll be back at North Eugene High School sharing this story again in a couple of weeks. And um, again, I know this was a, a deviation from the platform of this show. I love talking about music. I was able to sneak in a little bit of music today. Um, but like I said, it's been a heavy month and a lot of crazy things have happened um, in my life, some of which I didn't even get into today because it's just... Ugh. But... Um, yeah, I thought this was something that um, was worthy of, of sharing. If it's if it's good enough for me to go in and, and talk to the students about, then it's good enough for me to talk to you about because this is something that is the number one cancer for young men. What's my audience? My demographic? Probably young men. And by young, I mean 15 to 35 because that is the, the primary... Uh, range where this happens. I think it's actually like 20 to 30, but it can come in my case a few years early. Um, and that, who knows, maybe that was the reason that, that mine was, uh, uh, extracted and, and, and benign was because I was 16. And normally this is a thing that materializes later. Um, had I not had the indication of that, um, pain in advance, maybe it would have been a different outcome. Maybe I wouldn't be uh, sitting here telling this story and uh, having a podcast because podcasts weren't invented yet. So who knows? Anyway, I thank you guys for listening and um, I will be back to you. I've got plenty of ideas for new shows and new guests 
and uh, uh, I, I appreciate you uh, tuning in and, and letting me have this little experiment as something to do for fun that's a free thing I can do for me and, and for fans that uh, aren't constantly trying to buy the latest thing that I've got. I want to be able to give uh, some free stuff from time to time. On that note, uh, the day before this airs, myself and Ogar Burl, our duo is back together, um, uh, not just touring with you know me and him as separate acts. Our new album's coming out this year. It's called Rare Form. And on Monday, we just dropped a brand new video called Slubber to Gullion. I'm not going to... Uh, spell that for you, but um, Slubber to Gullion, the music video is out right now. You can go to video.take92.com um, and Syfal has the premiere. Shut your fucking face and listen. S-Y-F-F-A-L.com has the premiere for the video, so you can go there as well. Check it out and, and see what they had to say about it. But uh, yeah, many lyrics coming at you rapid fire i made the beat myself i played some bass on there and we filmed stuff from the whole uh last couple tours and uh and this show that we recently did at 924 gilman in berkeley so uh it's pretty cool and just a little teaser of what's to come so thanks for tuning in and check out the new video slubber to gullion sammy warm hands and ogar burl Dark side of the force. 
I light the torch to illuminate the night Like a thousand points of energy, it better be quite bright Oh God, thinking outside the zeitgeist This far from gathering my guys to do a nice heist But like hindsight, we see through the pageantry 2020, plenty of dumb fucks Imagine we created and curated an MC menagerie We had to be to actually delay the rate of atrophy What, you getting back at me just cause I got you first? I grab a cold can of this, shake it up and watch it burst Fuck your thirst When I'm plotting a verse, I either shit it out and spit it when it's not rehearsed Or else I hone it to an edge, test that shit against my face Turn it up to see how we could get up in the place The location of the base with basically the basement To this place, but in the base of your brain Till you could taste it